Welcome, Welcome to, to X-rated, X-rated movies. movies. Or should I say, X-rated boobies. You ah! scared me. That's one half of your ghosting team, Ryan Whedon. I'm the other half, Matthew Fisher. This episode has ghosts. <laughs> uh, oh, no, wait, that's just your, your sheets. You're hanging your sheets. I, I'm sorry. I, I, was... pr- I prefer to air dry. Same with my hair. Same with my junk. Just let the sheets... Blow in the wind. Yeah, I, I kind of wish you hadn't taken a shower before I came over, but, you know. Uh, yeah. You, you know, do you. My poor couch probably has light spots of mildew of just basking all dewy moist <laughs> out of the shower. I mean, I, I just wish you weren't running the hair dryer as well, on just pointed at your junk there. <laughs> well, it's the only way I get that bounce. I see. Yeah, I mean, there's some body there. It's like a Pantene Pro-V commercial down there. <laughs> Dove Pro-Age, thank you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm a, a salt and pepper daddy everywhere that it counts. I see. There was a guy who came into the bar yesterday who had like one big patch of white and an otherwise completely dark hair and beard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess I'm just at a point now where I'm like, I think a, a little salt is sexy. I've thought that like salt and pepper on a guy is is good looking since I think I was like 23 or 24. Especially if it's like salt and pepper, but on like an otherwise young face. Yeah. I don't know. That does it for me. Even like if you go full gray, if you wear it well, like I'm all for it. Like Jim Jarmusch, like he's got that shock of silver hair. Yeah. And while his movies are crap, I do think that he is pulling off a very solid look. I like it too. I'm starting to get a little white in my beard and I'm just going with it. I started getting the jet wings. Oh, okay. By your temples and by your ears. Yeah. Where it was just going gray in that like specific area. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liked it. But then after I broke up with my last boyfriend, it started turning brown again. (laughs) Huh. So. I wonder what that says. I wonder what the correlation (laughs) could be. Wonder what'll happen to your hair when you're a hundred. Boy, I don't know. Why a hundred? Why bring up such a seemingly arbitrary number? Well, you know, I must just have it on the brain, I suppose. Well, could it be because today is the hundredth movie that we reviewed? Oh, what? <laughs> That's right. We do eleven movies a season, and we finished up the first nine seasons. This is the premiere of season 10. Yeah, I I can't believe we just breezed over that. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so 99 movies was our 90th episode. And so this is movie 100. 100. Being a fan of uh, statistics and numbers and whatnot, I uh, did a little research to see how our first 100 movies compares with another list of 100, the AFI Top 100. Oh, okay. So why don't you take a guess... As to what the average year that the AFI list has. I'm going to go pretty early. Uh-huh. I'm going to say 41. You think the average is 1941? Yeah. The average is 1963. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so by decade, they have uh, none from the 1900s. Okay. They have one from between 1910 and 1919. Okay. Uh, the 1920s, they have three. Okay. 1930s, they have 12. Good time for movies. 
The 1940s, they have 11. So mm. a little, little dip there. Oh, yeah. 30s were more important than the 40s, according to AFI. What happened? I mean, there was a war going on. <laughs> uh, 1950s, there was 16 movies on the list. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> the 1960s have 17 movies. Okay. Then we get to the big one. 1970s, 20 movies on the AFI. A lot of good movies, American movies in the 70s. I, I'll, I'll agree with that. 1980s, there's eight movies. So big drop off well, in the 80s. Well. Uh, 1990s, there's 11 movies from the 1990s. Really? Yeah, I was a little surprised by that. I can only think of three off the top of my head. Well, four if you count Forrest Gump. Did you do it with ours too? I did. Okay, <laughs> this ought to be good. So we have zero movies from between uh, in the 1900s. Yeah. Uh, we have zero movies from the 19-teens. <sighs> We have zero movies from the 1920s. Zero from the 1920s, you say? We have one movie from the 1930s. Woo! Let's hear it for M! <laughs> we have zero movies from the 1940s. Oh, man. We have zero movies from the 1950s. <laughs> we have four films from the 1960s. Hey. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll believe you. We have three films from the 1970s. Really? Yeah. This is going to be good. I can't wait for this. We have 23 films from the 1980s. Uh-huh. We have 31 films from the 1990s. Wow. Uh, we have 15 from the 2000s and 23 from 2010 on. You're kidding. Yeah, we've done 23 movies from the last eight years. Wow. So... Now, I mean, some of this isn't fair because the AFI list, I'm going off the 2007 list. So, obviously, there's not going to be anything from 2010 or beyond for them. Right. Uh, but do you care to take a guess as to what our average release year was? Uh, 2004? <laughs> 1996. Oh, okay. So, very much our heyday. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Then I broke it down because I wanted to see... I didn't do genre, but I wanted to see... Like some of the stats, like director wise. Okay. Mm -hmm. So some of these I kind of had to make an assumption on, but I wanted to see how many of the AFI movies are directed by cis hetero white dudes. Sure. Versus how many of our movies were directed by cis hetero white dudes. Okay. On the AFI list, I counted 96 out of 100 movies were directed by cis hetero white dudes. Oh, that's not good for America. (laughs) And some of those I'm sort of being generous on. Like Singing in the Rain was like. Co-directed by Gene Kelly with Vincente Minnelli. Mm-hmm. And Vincente Minnelli, Liza Minnelli's dad, is widely believed to be gay. Okay. So Did but, you and you put him in the I put that in the non-hetero. Okay. So th- That's nice. Yeah, that's generous. Not a single female director on the AFI. Oof. We've done better than that. And then if Please we're Please ju- tell me. Yeah, we have. Uh, and then if we're just talking directors of color, we got M. Night Shyamalan and Spike Lee, and that's it. Ugh. That's pathetic. So, I looked at our list. It's not as good as I thought. In terms of cis-hetero white dudes, mm-hmm. 75 of ours have been directed by cis-hetero white dudes. Okay, okay. We're moving in the right direction. If you add up these numbers, they don't quite add up, because in some cases, the movies that we've picked were directed by queer people of color. But for... Female directors, uh, I got six. Hey, that's not bad. Uh, I am including the Wachowskis in this. Okay. Uh, as they identify as women now, so I'm, I'm putting them in the women category. I think you should. And then 
just for queer filmmakers in general, I counted it up, and there was 11 different ones. Nice. So. I like it. So, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to, to break it down, see where the stats lie. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I guess we should say what our 100th movie is. Movie 100 is one that's near to my heart, as I'm sure it is dear to yours. Mm. A movie that I watched ad nauseum in my childhood. A little movie called Beetlejuice. This is kicking off your new theme. Yes. New season, new theme, and... This time, I'm doing a tribute to one of my favorite podcasts, the Large Marge Sent Us podcast. I just want to say that we are both genuine fans of that show. Yeah, I look forward to it every week. Two sweetie sisters go back and revisit movies that shaped their childhood. They're insightful. They have the best questions. They have the best banter. I just love their dynamic. They're hilarious. Yes. They, they make me laugh every time. So I look forward to that podcast every week. And it just, you know, after listening to it for, I don't know, maybe a year now, I was just like, you know what? I want to go back and revisit movies from my childhood. Cool. I even texted my mom. I was like, what are some movies that I watched ad nauseum as a child? And she goes, Beetlejuice. That was her first response. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, it seems fitting. It's Halloween. Watch Beetlejuice a whole bunch. I got to do it. We hadn't done a Tim Burton movie yet. No. And this is a very Burton-esque uh, romp. You know, for having seen this movie a thousand times, my eyes were glued to the screen yesterday. <laughs> I never turned away from it. I was never bored with it. I was never disinterested in it. I just, I loved it. Every second of it, I love it. I was going to say, like, how did it age? And it sounds like it aged well for you. It aged very well for me. I tried to think of, like, a Tim Burton, like, uh, someone who's, like, analogous to that now, someone who has, like, a singular vision. Like, when you see a Tim Burton movie, especially from this period, you know it's him. Mm -hmm. Like, you can feel it. Yeah. And I really struggle to think of a director nowadays that has that level of, like, individuality in their movies. Like, even great film directors out and about today that I think are great don't have necessarily just, like, the instant stylistic choice. Yeah, or this kind of oddball sense of fun anymore. Like, you know, th there's special effects in this movie, but they look bad on purpose. It's kind of goofy looking in a purposeful way that you just don't really get anymore. Everyone's so serious in that, in that department. Like, there's a lot of fun, cartoony elements to this that you just... I don't know. It's a, it's a style of movie that doesn't seem to get made anymore. But even like the creature effects and things like that, Tim Burton himself must have had a big hand in like the art direction yeah. of the movie because you can tell that the same person who, who designed the creatures in this, the ghosts or the monsters or even like some of the weirder architecture in this is the same person who designed Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. You know. Or Edward Scissorhands. Or, yeah, yeah. Like the there's that very stylistic element in like the art of the movie that is distinctive to him. I remember a couple of years ago when I was watching uh, all the Disney movies, like mm -hmm. all the 2D animated ones. Tim Burton used to be an animator for Disney. He worked on Fox and the Hound and stuff like that. And he, mm -hmm. he worked on Black Cauldron. And one of the bonus features on the DVD was like you could see some 
like early designs by Tim Burton. Oh, cool. And it, when you watch Black Cauldron, you don't see anything Burton-esque in there. But when you see his like drawings and his designs for the character, you're like, oh, that's Tim Burton. Like it's instantly recognizable as him. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned his early career because I read recently in the Jim Henson biography that I read that at the end of the Muppet movie, there's a big scene that calls for a lot of Muppets to be moving around as audience members for mm -hmm. a, a final number and a lot of people who were just working in Hollywood at the time were called in to just be a puppeteer for a day and one of those people was Tim Burton oh cool yeah so if you see that scene at the end of the Muppet movie he's one of the people moving puppets around <laughs> in the audience so that's pretty fun I watch this movie every three or four years uh, last time I watched it thanks to the miracle of Letterboxd was in 2016 okay. so it's been about two and a half years since I'd seen it last okay. and yeah I just do you give this movie five stars on Letterboxd? Four stars. Okay. And there's little flaws to it that I see. Like, they don't know how to pronounce Beetlejuice for, like, the first half of the movie. <laughs> and then, like, it, there'll be one scene where Alec Baldwin is like, Man, we've got to get some help here. We've got to contact this guy, Beetlemeyer, or something. And then in the next scene, they're saying Beetlejuice correctly. It's him, Beetlejuice. Yeah, there's a few holes like that. There's, like, a couple gags that fell flat for me this, okay. on this viewing but for the most part you can't beat the production design the originality uh some of the jokes i laughed really hard at and oh, i remember yeah. laughing as a kid okay so like i will never not laugh when alec baldwin's jaw falls off when he tries <laughs> to say beetlejuice <laughs> that is funny every fucking time i like to uh i mean we're jumping way to the end here i'm sorry but <laughs> but that the, the like the climax is like just filled with jokes yeah when barbara gina davis's character <laughs> is like beetlejuice and he just goes <laughs> and the zipper covers her mouth yeah cinerama the the big movie theater here in seattle did a sound and vision festival. We right. saw Mulholland Drive. We saw Drive. Mulholland Drive through that. Right. They also did the 1989 Batman. Oh, okay. And so, you know, I, I went and saw that with a, a friend of mine. And, you know, Michael Keaton's in that one as well. as He plays Beetlejuice here. And in Batman, he definitely plays like a man defined by trauma. He's quiet, demure, still waters run deep sort of thing. And then, like, to think a year earlier, <laughs> he's Beetlejuice. <laughs> possess myself if I gotta whoa yo I got demons running all through me I love that ad part when he's just like I'll eat anything you want me to eat I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow come on down out chew on a dog oh. that's the stupidest commercial I loved it <laughs> uh I gotta say okay so I should say I have a very vivid memory of seeing this movie in the theater but the more I think myself through it, I don't think I did. I think I saw it a little later because when it came out, it would have been eight, which is like mm, right on the cusp of it being uncomfortable. And I definitely remember my f brother and my dad talking me through some of the scary parts. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Like not, I mean, I was really sensitive to scary movies as a kid. And uh, I remember thinking parts of it were scary, but they were tempered by the humor in it. Like that first part where Gina Davis tries to scare them by ripping her face off and her eyes fall out and she's like ah! <laughs> I remember a chill running up my spine and being scared but then it's immediately softened by them just pushing her out of the way mm -hmm. and being like we just have to pray the other closets are bigger than this one my kid brain getting that like seeing something scary but then like if you laugh at it 
it's okay. Mm-hmm. That's sort of setting the tone. Cause that's the first really scary thing that happens in the movie. Yeah. And then like everything past that, just sort of being out, being able to kind of like, okay, this isn't that scary because it's also kind of funny. Like something funny is going to happen later. I, I was definitely four and five years old and I would just get up on Saturday morning at like 6am and just watch Beetlejuice. <laughs> I definitely remember playing the Beetlejuice video game on NES. Me too. I and it I was watched so a, hard. I watched a playthrough of it a little bit for in preparation for this. Oh really? Yeah, and that was made by Rare, the people who did like Donkey Kong and like a whole bunch. Oh, of Oh, was other. it really? Oh. Yeah, Rare was a company that did much stuff with Nintendo, and like that is not their best <laughs> entry. Let's just say that. I just remember there was one boss in the Beetlejuice game that I kept getting like hung up on, and mm-hmm. I'd always go and wake up my dad and be like, "I need your help." <laughs> Uh, so he just taped the Nintendo hotline to oh, the yeah. front of the NES. <laughs> He's like, if you get caught, just call this 800 number. <laughs> it's weird to think that this movie like spawned a Saturday morning cartoon. I know. And tons of action figures. I definitely had those. I didn't have the Beetlejuice action figure, but I definitely watched the cartoon show. Which is really bad. I watched a couple episodes last really? night. I'm like, this is really bad. It's so punny. It's just like packed with puns it was also it's one of those things where it's like you can tell that none of the original actors are involved in the voice acting so it's like when i listen to it i'm like oh i'm only hearing what's different and mm-hmm. that's bothering me mm-hmm. don't touch that dial because now the only place you can have a wild time with tv zadius goes is weekday mornings on fox i'm ready but are you ready for me to wake up and smell my socks <laughs> But I definitely had, like, the toy of, like, Beetlejuice's grave that, like, you would open it up and you could put Beetlejuice in it. Mm. And then you'd close it and you'd, like, t- turn the Beetlejuice on or, like, uh, uh, pull it, like a, a, like, a lever one direction or the other. And then when you opened it up, he'd be gone. <gasps> oh, where'd he go? Uh, yeah, it was magic. <laughs> there is a little bit of a to quote Joel Schumacher, a toyetic element to this movie mm-hmm. where, like... I'm picturing like Gina Davis picking up the small Beetlejuice and then his like spikes coming out in her hand kind of thing. He looks like a little toy at that point. And, you know, the whole model town element to it, too. Like, I could see that. I could see them like saying, how do we turn this into a a marketing thing? Mm -hmm. Also, it was the 80s. So, you know, synergy. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing about it necessarily strikes me as like a kid's movie necessarily. Like. It's not super inappropriate. Like, they don't swear a whole bunch. There's only one F-bomb that I caught. Which I remember, that was my dad's favorite part. (laughs) When he kicks over the tree and goes, Nice fucking model! (laughs) This is Michael Keaton's favorite role of his own. Which, it's weird to think, like, you know, we want to think that actors love playing, like, tortured dramatists or something like that. Or, you know, they love playing you know the disabled or you know the uh, love playing you know abused prostitutes or something how boring would it be if he's like spotlight (laughs) yeah exactly and it's like i think that actors really kind of like the roles where they can like let their hair down and like just lose themselves in a role yeah and i mean he's it's such an iconic character too i mean he did batman next but whatever you know this is like an original Thing that's never been reprised like no one's ever been beetlejuice before like saturday morning cartoon notwithstanding yeah there is supposed to be a beetlejuice sequel that tim burton's yeah. like supposedly working on and i really really wish they wouldn't because a tim burton has definitely lost his groove but b part of the joy of beetlejuice is that it has been marred by needless sequels mm-hmm. i mean we should talk a little bit about the actual movie like <laughs> we're just talking about beetlejuice the idea <laughs> 
I, I want like Catherine O'Hara is in this movie. It's a great cast. <sighs> Love Catherine She's O'Hara. Great. Winona Ryder in one of her most iconic roles. I mean, I can't think of any earlier roles of Winona Ryder. But she looks great and is spectacular in this movie. Uh, uh, Robert Goulet is in this movie. So this is one of those movies. Also over the weekend, I watched John Waters' Hairspray. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen it before. Mm, oh, wow. uh, it's real good. Yeah, it's a good movie. And both these movies had this like sort of like very conscious casting choices like Robert Goulet is not auditioning to be in Beetlejuice no. like <laughs> someone had to decide like we need a Robert Goulet type to play this is Robert Goulet available and they got him a script and yeah we're like can you just read this part we're thinking of you as Maxi whatever Maxi Dean Maxi Dean just read it and think about it <laughs> Uh, but like Dick Cavett's Dick in this, Cavett's as, in this. like Dick Cavett isn't auditioning for movie no. roles. Like s- someone sought him out and was like, we want you to be in this movie. You are a flake. You have always been a flake. If you insist on frightening people, do it with your sculpture. I was thinking about the Bechtel test for this movie and how really, unless you're counting the spider at the beginning as a dude, <laughs> the movie has two female characters talk about something that's not a man. Yeah. Before two male characters with a name talk to one another. Because it's, like, it's uh, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, mm-hmm. and it's the two of them. And then Gina Davis runs downstairs, and it's Jane. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she talks to Jane about selling the house. Yeah. So really, like, it takes a couple scenes. It's not till they go to town to the hardware store that they own. Okay, I had a question. I was wondering, like, why he just ran in and grabbed stuff and left. It's Maitland Hardware. That's their hardware oh, store. I never noticed that. Okay. Yeah, like it's closed up because they're they're taking a staycation. Oh, that makes so much sense. Because I was like, why is he getting model parts at this tiny like store? Yeah. Got it. Okay. 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 Yeah, it was Maitland Hardware. So yeah, he just runs in, grabs some of his own supply. Got high in his own supply. <laughs> And yeah, and so like the first male character that he talks to is that barber, like that doddering old barber who might not even have a no. He calls him a name. I don't remember yeah, what it is. Yeah, the but. barber's like talking to himself though. Yeah. He's not really talking to anybody. But he says like you know, have a good one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> By the way, Alec Baldwin's cute in this movie. Oh, he's super cute. He has in this a movie. great butt. At one point, he's like put, holding a door shut, and I was like, wow, he's been doing squats <laughs> or something. I don't want to say that he let himself go, but boy, back in the day, he was just trim i mean he still got has a gorgeous full head of hair but yeah that voice was still there too even back in the late 80s yeah yeah very sexy very sexy um also he must be a giant because gina davis is like six two and they're the same height in this movie that's true do you remember that i just read this because i was reading her wikipedia page and i'd forgotten about this that she qualified for the like 2016 archery team or something like that i remember hearing about that yeah she plays like 23rd out of 25 slots or something and went to the Olympics. Well, she sort of retired from acting because, uh, like, being in Hollywood was, like, messing with her brain and, like, giving yeah. her, like, anxiety attacks. Well, she is a member of Mensa, so she's smart. Well, she just married, like, a guy 20 years younger than her smart. and then just retired. <laughs> I was like, life goals? Like, yeah. <laughs> damn. That, that's what happens when you're a smart woman. Yeah. So. I don't know. She got her Academy Award and just hung it up. I love her in this movie too. She's she plays a role that I would normally hate, but I oh. love her character. Like the just like country housewife who loves decorating the place. You know, like we don't really understand much of her character. 
beyond like when she dies but i love her mm-hmm. i love watching her i love seeing her gumption i love seeing her love for lydia and just you know she really brings a lot of warmth to uh that character that isn't really there on the page when you think about it yeah she's not playing like a uh you know, mousy, demure housewife. Like, she kind of seems like on equal footing with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, if anything, he seems kind of (laughs) bumbly. Yeah, a little bit. So... Catherine O'Hara, like it. <sighs> if she was in more starring vehicles, we'd have a double feature about her. I mean, but like she, God. she never stars in anything. I never really appreciated how good she is in the Deo scene until this watch through, <laughs> because she's like, she's doing like three things at once. She's singing the song, she's moving her body like somebody else is moving it, and she's making faces like i'm not doing this i don't know how this is happening like and it's so convincing i don't know how she does it it's brilliant it's really brilliant acting this might be an extension of like the art direction but her fashion in this is bananas (laughs) and i love it like she's even like dressed to the nines while she's like chopping onions yeah yeah they mentioned that on the uh, Large March uh, episode about this. Did oh, you did know they? Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they really loved the uh, the hat, the the <laughs> gloves that were like a, a that bow. Is, that was really cool. <laughs> it like, was good. The, yeah, the little uh, like hat uh, bandana or I don't know what it was, but or glove bandana. Yeah. There's one line, and I actually use this in my everyday life sometimes when uh, Otho is getting ready to do the seance, and he's like, "I'm going to need something very personal for everyone," and she just goes, she thinks for a minute, and she goes. <laughs> and the way she says it, I, I say that a lot when I have to do, go, like, leave and do something. I just go, excuse me. I totally thought you were going to be like, uh, if you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me. Yeah. I forgot. I don't know the name of the actor who plays the dad. Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. He's great in this, too. I, I forgot about this scene where he's like ready to relax and he's reading like a book on the Audubon like an Audubon book oh. he's like I'm gonna look at birds now and he pulls out the binoculars and he's looking out the window and he sees one like eating something gross and he just goes like <laughs> like it's that kind of humor that uh, I think that stands the test of time <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that's gonna make you laugh 30 years on <laughs> yeah I guess this movie is 30 years old like pretty much exactly yeah so Tim Burton didn't write this movie. It was written by like three different people, two of which wrote this and like nothing else. And then one of the other writers went on to be one of the writers on the Adams family and did little else after that. But like the script itself seems so perfect for Tim Burton. Well, I read that he was approached with a bunch of different scripts after the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And this was the only one that caught his eye. Mm, Okay, okay. In watching it, it seems like the the Lydia character, Winona Ryder's character, is really kind of custom. Like, that's his proxy. Like, I feel like that's his childhood self that he injected into the movie. Live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. I mean, I don't want to say that it's odd, but I would say that it's out of the ordinary... That he chose a, a girl as his proxy in the movie. Like, the Maitlands are sort of the audience proxy. Sure. But where Tim Burton injects himself is definitely through Lydia. He's also just sort of that character that's always just out of place in the banal, in the everyday. That normal people, although, I, I mean, Delia Dietz is not <laughs> normal by any means. But, um, you know, like, in that country home, she feels really 
out of place and that's just where most people would be like oh i can't wait to settle in and mm-hmm. you know have eggs for breakfast and <laughs> from our chickens and blah whatever and that is a good point i didn't think about the fact that it's interesting that he made his proxy a woman mm-hmm. i mean she's not necessarily the star she has a big supporting role i would say yeah she's almost on screen more than michael keaton i think that could be yeah, yeah. I mean, michael keaton's not in the movie terribly much it's just he's just such a scene stealer when he is in the movie but i think about watching this as a kid and also like one of my favorite scenes now is uh right after the spikes come out of him when yeah. Gene da- barbara gene <laughs> davis is holding them and he's like i'm feeling a little uh anxious if you know what i mean been about 600 years after all i wonder where a guy in everyday joe like myself could find a little action <laughs> And, like, the camera just, like, pivots, and there's a whorehouse directly in front of him. (laughs) And the way that he dances up to the whorehouse tickled me just right when I was watching this. Like, I I was, like, a one-man giggle fest. (laughs) I, like, right after that, while while that's happening, and, and Gina Davis goes, Adam, why did you build that? I didn't. Okay, so we've got to get into a little bit the just the neither world or wherever, like once they get through the door uh, and the waiting room and things like that. I love the idea that the afterlife is just a bureaucracy, <laughs> a so, horrible, horrible bureaucracy. It's hard to know exactly, but I was three when this movie was originally released. I can't know for certain what it was like to say, be into goth culture when this movie was released, but... I have a feeling that if you were into goth culture, you would like this movie yeah, upon its release. Probably. Like, you know, I, I feel that if that was your thing, those early Tim Burton movies were probably right up your alley. Do we have any goths that were old enough to see this movie in the theater? Rias. Rias, if you're listening, <laughs> please chime in. But, you know, the stereotype around goths is that they're obsessed with death and things like that. But really, it shows death here as being boring. Like, <laughs> it's not glamorizing death at all. It's like, being dead kind of dull, kind of sucks. Wish I didn't do it. Yeah. You know? Which is funny because there's that part where Lydia's, like, talking about her suicide note, and she's, like, talking about how she wants to die, and Beetlejuice even goes, why? Yeah. I got these friends on the outside that I said I'd meet, you know, and that's the kind of thing I have to be there in person, you know? So I was just wondering, could you help me get out of here? I want to get in. Why? Even he's sort of like unhappy with the whole situation. Yeah. That's an interesting point of view to take. Yeah. And like the idea that the, the, you know, the netherworld is just, yeah, a huge bureaucracy. It's like basically you're either like living in the parking lot or you're stuck in the DMV. (laughs) Like, yeah, those are your options. The waiting room there is really fun, but I do have a question about it. One of them is, uh, you know, like the idea is sort of like the way you die is the way you're waiting. And uh, one of the people got bit by a shark, like got a shark bite. And I was like, did the shark die too? Is that why the shark's there? I mean, maybe. It wasn't a very big shark. I suppose he could have like taken it with him. Yeah. But also that dude was only bit on the leg. So maybe he drowned. Got an Uh, artery or something. Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's hard to say, but yeah. There's, There's a woman who got sawed in half. Yeah, There's a I mean, wolf. she looked like a magician's assistant. And I am actually, uh, well, I don't know. I really don't know how they did the legs 
crossing, uncrossing. Like she must have been in the couch or something. I really don't and know. And they just put like a thing that looked like the top half of yeah. her waist. Yeah. I watched that a couple times and I was still confused. So I don't know. That was good. Good effect. There's the like shrunken head guy. There's the smoker. That part's pretty funny. You want a cigarette? trying to cut down myself dumb junk like that when i was a kid I, like takes the scare out of it like it, you can laugh at it you know and oh, i should have looked it up but once their number's finally called the guy who's been flattened in like a car accident uh-huh. uh comes to the door and he's like maitland's party <laughs> too that's some great character actor whose name i can't remember but yeah. he's been, he was in tons of stuff throughout the 80s and yeah there's just this endless lines like the opening scene in the apartment when jack lemon's like crunching away at numbers uh but in, in this case it's all skeletons just yeah <laughs> data processing and number crunching yeah uh i mean while we're talking about large marge Sennis podcast one of the sweeties brought up the uh the fact that like why is there so much paper in in this area like if they're, if they're ever going to update they're going to save on a lot of paper like that's a good point actually I, yeah i mean it was still the the 80s they didn't they didn't you know yeah. things weren't totally computerized yet yeah I wonder what neither world computers are going to be like. I'm real curious about that. Well, Beetlejuice 2, man. We'll just have to see it. <laughs> Do you think the keyboards are like, they look like they're made out of bones? You think they've only upgraded to like typewriters? <laughs> well, I'm picturing like computers in the 80s. <laughs> Do you think they have like the, uh, the ones that, that are like the divided keyboards to like prevent sure. from like... Yeah. Instead uh, of a mouse, it's like the ball one that you move the ball around. Or it's like one of the sideways mice where you, where you <laughs> hold it. You know, <laughs> that's as far as they've made it. Yeah. Yeah. Ergonomic. Yeah. Although they don't. Skeletons don't. Carpal tunnel. Yeah. Skeletons don't have tendons, though. So I don't know. Do they really need it? I don't know. But these are questions I don't want to answer. <laughs> yeah. It's a question for some, you know, uh, uh, production designer oh. on Beetlejuice 2. I thought you were going to say a bonologist. <laughs> I love when Alec Baldwin and uh, James Davis go back to scare them for the final time and they make their faces look crazy scary and there's like this (laughs) hilarious moment where they're just about to go do it and gina davis is like oh adam i can't go through with it i like that little girl adam i want to be with lydia and alec baldwin with eyeballs on his fingers like reaches out and just kind of like caresses her Uh (laughs) and like that that moment has stuck with me (laughs) Ever since my first viewing, I always think of that in whenever I watch this movie and just how odd that it because like earlier when she makes the face her face, he holds his glasses up and uses the eyes on his fingers to view it. So yeah. it's like, what does that look like? <laughs> like I don't know, just so many questions. <laughs> but I just love that that's a touch that they added. Like make sure you touch her hair with your with your eyeball fingers. Yeah, the texture of like claymation, like yeah, I mean it, it does, I guess, look phony. But having the texture to it makes up for that difference, you know? I read that Tim Burton wanted it to look weird and, and cheap. Oh, did he? Yeah, because he liked that look to it. I mean, he was a big fan of, like, Hammer Horror movies, which, like, you could just, like, see the dry ice and the vials and things like that. So, you know, that seems reasonable. But, you know, even when Beetlejuice, like, turns into a snake and, like, terrorizes the family, mm-hmm. like, you can tell it's claymation, but I don't know, like... It looks good. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked how that looked. He sort of reminded me of Bradley Whitford <laughs> in that phase, but, okay. uh, yeah. I don't know, it just, it looks so good, and I liked it. Yeah, that's a good one. I liked the special effect of them after they're brought back by Otho in their wedding 
clothes and slowly turning into old and older. That's good makeup. But also they do this thing where it almost looks like they're projecting on their face them in the makeup something I don't know, yeah, something it, like that because uh there's one scene where like alec baldwin who was transported second mm-hmm. it looks like there's some sort of lighting effect that's like yeah. putting like stripes or wrinkles on his face on yeah. top of it before there's any actual makeup put on there so yeah, there might be something like that or some sort of lighting design but yeah just the way that, like the they look when they're sort of uh degenerating down and like rapidly aging it still, to me, just looks classic Tim Burton. Like, the, the design of the makeup is still right in that, like, his visual style. Little flares like that, like, having that touch all through the movie really kind of solidifies a distinctive look to his films. What do you think about Delia's art? <laughs> I would not buy it. But I would not stop her from making it. Would you pause if you saw it in a museum? You know, I don't think I would, honestly. Yeah, that's something you just passed. The big thing that, like, uh, hugged her, like mm-hmm. the, the crawly dealy. Okay. That's kind of cool. But, like, that one that was just, like, a meteor on, like, three small meteors and a wire, like, I would walk past that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, why? What about you? Uh, I don't know. I always thought it was really stupid growing up, but like, I don't know. I've, I've come to appreciate it now. <laughs> okay. Now I'm sort of like, hmm, this really makes me, really makes me think, Delia. <laughs> you need to, you need to keep going. I am not Dick Cavett. I would continue to support her. You would continue to lose money on her art? Yeah. All right. Uh, question for you. If you were living in that house, if you were Lydia and you heard uh, strange moanings goings on, <laughs> would you go up and take pictures of what you saw? <laughs> like, that that's one thing that, like, bothered me this time is, like, she goes up when the Maitlands are trying to, like, you know, be ghosts, and they put on sheets and, like, start A- moaning. Yeah, such good moaning from them, both of them. I really like that. But Lydia comes up, and she's like, if you guys are going to do your weird perverted sexual stuff, keep it in your bedroom, and it's like she's taking Polaroids. I'm like... <laughs> Why would you do that? No, no. That's uh, that's a, a level of shaming that I am uncomfortable with. <laughs> I'm GGG. I, I'm, I'm all for whatever, you know, strange role-playing kink you got. But, boy, I wouldn't photograph someone else doing it, like my parents. Mm, maybe that's what they're into. They're trying to get... Getting caught. Yeah, is, they're is trying a turn to get... for them. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how old I was when I finally got that. That was what she was talking about. I'm not really sure if that's a joke for children. Yeah, I don't know. Like, because I 100% watched this like at the age of five and or earlier, and like the whorehouse like just was over my head, and I didn't question it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she definitely said like perverted sexual stuff. Yeah, and that just right over my head. Well, she says like, "How can you stand that woman?" And it's like that's a re- or how can he stand that woman? And it's a reference to like them fucking Mm -hmm. but like definitely never crossed my mind as a kid that that was what was going on yeah i mean this dates back to a time i guess when you know the toxic avenger was also a saturday morning cartoon so i don't know the 80s were weird (laughs) like they took these like cult cinema movies and like made them into saturday morning cartoons who is the audience for this? Like nowadays, if you made a movie like this, they'd be like, what's our demo? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but it was a hit. 
So he must have just kind of gotten a ticket to be like, you make the movie, and if it's a hit from here, you're going to do big things. This one was too. This one made a ton of money. Yeah. So I guess they're like, I don't know why this is working. (sighs) Just you make more movies, and as long as you're making money, we'll keep letting you. I mean, Tim Burton had like a big string of hits. I think think Ed Wood was a modest success. Like, I think it recouped its money, but little else. But that was after Batman, Edward Scissorhands, and Batman Returns. Yeah. So, like... He was allowed to have a modest success after that. Yeah. And then I think it was, like, Mars Attacks after that, and it was all downhill afterwards. Yeah. I don't know. Some people go to bat for uh, Sleepy Hollow. I like Sleepy Hollow. I also like Sweeney Todd. I mean, I like that musical a lot, so... I, like... Fight me. On the topic of music, though... Is Danny Elfman the last great, like, themist? I can't believe I haven't brought this up yet. This, the opening credits to this, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I love the music to this movie so much. I mean, I don't want to, like, badmouth modern film score composers. Because there is sort of the trend where music isn't supposed to be as noticeable as it maybe once was. But to me, Danny Elfman doing you know Beetlejuice Pee-wee's Big Adventure things like that it's like Bernard Herman for our generation like it's so palpable and you notice every note of it and it adds so much color and fills in so much to what you're seeing I was a big Danny Elfman fan from a very young age I actually the first CD I ever bought was the Batman Returns soundtrack okay so that tells you what kind of child I was and uh, shortly after that, I bought a compilation CD called Music for a Darkened Theater, which is just a bunch of Danny Elfman uh, soundtracks. Yeah. And I think even before that, I'd had the Beetlejuice soundtrack on tape because I remember listening to that a whole bunch. That probably came with like the Harry Belafonte stuff, though, uh-huh, too, right? Yeah. yeah. It had uh, Jump in the Line and Deo on it. So mm-hmm. great soundtrack. But I actually went back and listened to some of the tunes on there. And just even what he made from like the early 80s through like the early 90s i would say even like just batman great iconic stuff you know like he knows how to write a theme he knows how to set a mood it's a great soundtrack it really is well done and it's well orchestrated i'm a big fan of oingo boingo like Mm -hmm. the rock band that he was in before writing film scores dead man's party is one of my like top five albums of the 80s and it's like when you listen to that like you can hear that like a rock band is not expansive enough for what he's trying to do yeah and really film scores is like what he was meant to do because i've heard some of his like full like symphonies and they kind of fall apart like he doesn't quite have like the mind for like a big hour-long symphony yeah but like putting together like an overture to a movie he's so good at it like his sense of theme like it's got like a pop hook to it like if you were writing you know, something for, for radio almost. But he's got that, like, really classic sense to make the big sound and then make it catchy on top of that. Yeah. When's he getting an award? He hasn't won an Academy Award yet. You sure? I'm pretty sure. I feel like we need to fact check that. Hold, please. <laughs> he's been nominated for four, but he hasn't won any. In your face! Just on the subject of Danny Elfman still, I just want to say in like, I think it was ninth grade, my English teacher made us go around the room and say what your favorite music is right now and and why. And I just remember when it 
like they're going around the room and they came to me and I said, Danny Elfman, like it was one of those things where people in front of me like turned around and were like, what? <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those things like I said it so confidently being like, oh, I'll just say this because this is what I'm listening to all the time. But then as soon as I saw the way people reacted to it, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what have I done? I only have one other note. Okay. The part at the beginning when Gina Davis is like, sleeping but not on the bed yeah that that gag yeah i was not able to figure out how they made her fall my guess is because i know i looked at that too and a when they like pull the covers back to reveal that she's floating i'm like oh that looks pretty convincing yeah and then the camera angle changes i'm like you can't quite see the bottom of her can you i i don't know so my guess is that there was like some sort of plank that she was lying on that was just a hair out of cam- the camera view that was suspended by wires or something. And they just Oh, they cut it. the wires? Okay. Yeah. That that might make sense. Th- because that's it- my guess, because it looks very convincing. Like, the way that, like, you see it from above and then you see it, like, uh, uh, yeah. from the periphery. It looks pretty seamless. Like, it, you know, your mind makes it look like she's floating. Well, yeah, and the thing is, like, if they were pulling a plank out, you would see the clothes move, mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen. She's literally laying there and then just drops. So I don't know how they did it. It's very, very good effect. No, it was good. It, was... It, it, it looked great. One thing that, like, I still have never been able to figure out in terms of, like, very practical effects that, like, filmmakers discovered how to do in, like, 1920 <laughs> Is like being in front of a mirror and not seeing the camera, but like they're like moving objects to show that they don't have a reflection. And I'm just like, how do they like, is it really synced up that they're doing it at the same time? But like, yeah, I don't know how they do that. Like, I I just have not mastered that. Unless they got someone in one of those like green uh, full body outfits a la It's Always Sunny and uh, (laughs) yeah, had them move the horse and then comped it out. I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty fancy stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, these are effects that, like, they mastered a long, long time ago that I just have not, like, even when I look it up, it doesn't really make much sense to me. Yeah. Uh, no, the effects are really cool. And even, like, the the stupid claymation, I like a lot. So did I ruin Tim Burton for a little while? Or are you not going to pick a Tim Burton movie? Mm, I never said that. Okay, okay. I was just, sometimes I worry about picking a movie like this because, like, uh, you know, I know Ryan likes other Tim Burton movies. Maybe this is just going to kick the can down the road for him for a while <laughs> not at all not at all yeah tim burton it's a sad story with him i i mean i don't hate he made him. a bunch of movies and made a bunch of money his life's not that sad but like it, it like just the quality of his filmmaking like the way that like it took such a nosedive mm-hmm. like all at once really i don't hate later tim burton as much as other people do i think i'm a little bit of a late tim burton apologist I think Big Eyes is a great movie. You think that's a great movie? It's a good I movie. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. So it's not I, a great I movie. It's a good movie. Either. It's totally worth watching. Okay. Um, I actually, like I said, I liked Sweeney Todd. Um, I love Sleepy Hollow. I think Sleepy Hollow actually is one of his better movies. Okay. And again, Danny Elfman's score doing wonders for that movie. Okay. I, I mean, I love Ed Wood. I don't know if you're counting that in his great movies. But, oh, uh, Ed Wood? Yeah. I think that's his best movie. Okay. I do too. I see. I, I always feel like you'd pick uh, Edward Scissorhands as Tim Burton's best, simply because of the inclusion of Diane Weist. I know that you're a fan. And uh, I mean, if we're doing movies that are uh, important to my childhood, Edward Scissorhands is way up there. Yeah, it's not the one I'm picking. I'm just gonna get that out of the way. Okay. But it was 
on the very short list for it. And I did not choose it because you chose Beetlejuice. Just okay. going to say that right now. But it's like, I don't know, his Planet of the Apes, which once again I didn't see, but I know it was so confusing to people that when it was released on DVD, they had to like include a little insert that like explained the timeline. I remember I did an uh, interview with an employee once and uh, when I worked at the record store, and I'd always, you know, I'd ask about music stuff for like first 20 minutes and then I'd ask about movies and I asked one guy, you know, what's your favorite movie? And he goes... I think Planet of the Apes is my favorite movie. And I was like, oh, okay. And we got to talking about, I was like, what did you think of the Tim Burton remake or something? And he goes, I hated it so much that I waited in line for the DVD release, like at Tower Records or whenever, like it came out in like 2002 or something. And he's like, because it was being released with commentary. I took the day off of work, went and bought the DVD, went home, watched it with commentary, but like skipped to the ending to see what Tim Burton had to say about the ending because I needed him to explain it to me. Uh And Tim Burton was just like, yeah, I just wanted to do something that didn't make any sense. (laughs) Wow. He's like, so I just did this because I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Did he like flip the table over? Yeah, I was going to say he just (laughs) threw his television out the window. Follow-up question to Jen hiring him. I did, yes. He got the job. He got the job, yeah. There you go. But, yeah, so I just, I always remember that, like, him just, like, hate watching the <laughs> remake of Planet of the Apes to figure out what the fuck Tim Burton was thinking. I don't know this person, but I'm just picturing them, like, gripping the couch, just like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, that's more or less it. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, R.I.P. R. R. T- not Tim yet. Burton. Not yet. I'm not going to say it yet. He's not. I think he's got another great movie in him. Okay. At least one more. Fingers crossed. Beetlejuice 2 is going to be his masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Do you have any final thoughts about Beetlejuice? Um, out of all the movies that I watched from childhood, this is the one that I revisit the most, and I'm never disappointed in it. It's a great mixture of like nostalgia and quality, which is rare. I can't think off the top of my head of another movie that I watched as a kid and laughed at, and now 38 years old watch and still laugh at. That was fun. Good pick. Well, what do we got coming up next week? I don't feel like you might have gotten enough choice in this, our Schlocktoberfest season, Matt. You seemed really sad when we talked about how you would have limited choices just with like where the double feature laid and everything. And so I'd like to play a little game with you. (gasps) This is the next step in me slowly turning this podcast into a game show. (gasps) And we're going to play a game called Pass the Buck. And uh, what that means is I ha- here I've got four envelopes, identical envelopes. I feel like you rated four Clue games and uh, uh-huh. pulled out the envelopes. Three of these contain movies that, horror movies, that I've chosen from my list that I would be absolutely happy to talk about. Okay. But one of them <gasps> contains the buck. And if you draw the buck, you get to choose next week's movie. <laughs> I want the buck. I want the buck. <laughs> so uh, you got a one in four chance of choosing the buck. 
If not, you know, we've got lots. Of, I promise you, you're not going to be. Well, there's one movie in here you might be sad about. But oh. the other the other ones you're going to be totally happy to watch. Two of them I know you haven't seen. One of them I think you haven't seen. So um, Wow, you went to a lot of thought on this. You got, you got good odds all around. Well, thank you. Yeah, so go ahead and choose your envelope. Okay. What's he got, folks? He's opening it up. <gasps> the box! Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> Matt has chosen the box. Does that mean I get to choose next week's movie? You absolutely do. You don't have to choose right now unless you've got one off the top of your head you want to do. It's the last pick for Schlocktoberfest, so you can do a horror movie. Okay. I'm going to do a horror movie, Chuck. I mean, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, there's so many horror movies that I want to talk about. I mean, I haven't given this any thought, so I mean, I I, don't, I can't pick one that you necessarily haven't seen, but um, you you wanna you wanna talk about The Exorcist? Holy shit! <laughs> I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Exorcist, it is. The buck has <laughs> spoken. There it is, folks. Okay, we're, we're doing we're, The Exorcist. We're talking about The Exorcist next week, <laughs> possibly the scariest movie ever made. Okay. Plug our junk. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I think we should. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. We tweet, we retweet. You know what Twitter's about. It's a tweet fest storm extravaganza. There is also a way you can follow us on Facebook, which is called Rated X Movies. And we enjoy your company there. If you haven't yet, leave us love on any place that you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. And we've also got a website where all of our content is located, and that is just xratedmovies.com. If you want to contact us directly, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Well, Matt, thank Ryan. you for your selection for next week. Huh, I've, just, I've just never been put on the spot and loved it so much. <laughs> I can't believe you got the buck. The chances of that are so slim. <laughs> It's very exciting. It's it's like, this is why we need to make this a game show. Oh, that was a rush. So. <laughs> anyway, join us next week for The Exorcist. <laughs> Until then, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice.